Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I am so excited to present to you this episode. In partnership with the Marlene Myers and JCC Manhattan, Thank You For Coming Out is co-hosting their LGBTQ author summer series of conversations. Hope you enjoy. Thank you for coming Good evening, and welcome to the virtual Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan. I'm Jason Blitman. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm the program director for the Lambert Center for Arts and Ideas. And on behalf of my colleagues in the Joseph Stern Center for Social Responsibility and out at the J here at the JCC, who are my partners on tonight's program, it is my pleasure to welcome you to our final event in our Summer Pride series. Thank you for coming out at the J with tonight's guest, Kristen Arnett, author of the book With Teeth. We hope you'll join us for other virtual events at the JCC, including next week for our great big community book club, which you could find out more about, as well as about our upcoming events at our website, mmjccm.org. Conversations at the JCC are made possible by Zabars and Zabars.com, and virtual programs for the Lambert Center are made possible by the generous support of the Lori M. Tisch Illumination Fund. There should be time for some questions at the end, so please feel free to write any questions you may have in the Q&A at the bottom of your screen. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce Dubs Weinblatt, who we're thrilled to be partnering with on this whole series. Dubs is the founder and executive producer of Thank You For Coming Out, which celebrates the LGBTQIA community by showcasing queer stories and identities through a podcast, improv, and storytelling. They are the co-founder and executive producer of Craft Your Truth, an organization that encourages LGBTQ folks to use performance art as a way to express their stories and connect with their community. Dubs is also the Associate Director of Education and Training for Metro New York at Keshet and was recently named one of Logo's new now next six inspiring LGBTQ Jewish activists that you should be following. So make sure to follow Dubs. Please welcome Dubs Weinblatt. Thank you so much, Jason. I'm so excited to be here. And now I have the pleasure and honor to introduce our guest for the evening. Kristen Arnett, Any Pronouns, is the author of With Teeth and the New York Times bestselling debut novel, Mostly Dead Things, which was a finalist for the Lambda Literary Award in Fiction. She is a queer fiction and essay writer. She was awarded Ninth Letters Literary Award in Fiction, has been a columnist for Literary Hub, and was a Spring 2020 Shearing Fellow at Black Mountain Institute. Her work has appeared in The New York Times, The Cut, The Oprah Magazine, North American Review, The Normal School, Gulf Coast, Tri-Quarterly, Guernica, BuzzFeed, Electric Literature, McSweeney's, PBS NewsHour, Bennington Review, The Guardian, Salon, The Rumpus, and elsewhere. Her next book, an untitled collection of short stories will be published by Riverhead Books. She holds a master's degree in library and information science from Florida State University and currently lives in Miami, Florida. And I'm adding that I learned that Kristen loves all things Florida. So if you have any questions about Florida, let them know. Kristen, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm You're- so happy to be here. Yes, this is so lovely to get to chat with you. How? How's it going? It's a big question, but however you want to answer it is welcome. Um, 
it's going. Um, mm. No, it's, it's, I think it's like, like many people feel, um, or not that I want to speak for everybody. It's got like, there's like times where I like feel, you know, like I'm moving upward and sometimes I feel like I'm moving a little downward, but it's still at least all connected together. So there's hope that the roller coaster will go back up again, but I'm, I feel very good tonight to be here and talking with friends. So that's, that's a good thing. Yeah, that's great. Amazing. Thanks for sharing. Um, Okay, so we all have multiple coming out stories, coming into ourselves stories. Um, and so I invite you to share one of yours with us. Yes. Um, I Honestly, when I was thinking about it, I had all these thoughts that went through my head. And the one that I was like, that came to me last that I was like, I absolutely have to talk about is probably how I came out to my mother. Um, it was not planned. And it was, I had... I think I just like forget about it because of like how it occurred. Uh, I had some, I was having a problem with my tooth and I like came to my mother and I was like in agony. And I was like, I have to go see a dentist. Like, will you, will you, I put it off for a long time. I put it off for a long time. I was just in so much pain. Um, And I was like, can you just please take me to this dentist? And I got to this dentist and I had to have this like immediate work done on this tooth. There was like a, like a thing. They had to put me under like twilight under. And so my mom is like waiting out there in the waiting room. And the, I, I, I guess when I'm coming out of the twilight, like the anesthesia, I wake up to myself, like sobbing and crying and, and telling her that I'm gay, Mm. but like not aware that it's happening. Like I was like still under as it's going on and like just deeply sobbing and like crying. And she's like, kind of trying to like shush me a little because I'm like having like a very dramatic scene, but like, don't even know I'm having a very dramatic scene in this like room in the back of like the dentist place. Um, and then she gets me out to the car. And then, um, I talked to her about it like weirdly three more times. And then I asked if she'd pull over so I could throw up Mm. and then we got home and then we never talked about it again. So it's like, it was a very specifically weird coming out story there. It's like, I probably wouldn't accept I was under anesthesia. So I guess that just, it goes to show that like, you could come out at any time. And even if you're not aware, if you're that gay, it can just happen. <laughs> um, wow. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, how, how old were you when this took place? Oh gosh, I was 20. I was like young. Uh, it was like not an ideal situation. My, um, my parents are very like, um, conservative evangelical Southern Baptist. So I had like very purposely not had conversations with like that with them. And then I guess it's like, yeah, like if you're under the anesthesia, every truth that you have had suppressed is coming out. So just keep that in mind, I guess I would say to anyone going in for not to, not to, not to scare (laughs) anyone. But I'll just scare you a little bit. Like a it, little it bit. Might happen. You might come out to your parents under anesthesia. <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you that um, one of my biggest fears before I came out was this exact scenario. And I'm kind of like, I feel like my blood turned cold. Like I like died a little bit when you were telling this story. Because <laughs> this is like my truest fear was that I would like lose control in this way mm-hmm. and like not not have any sense of it and, and come out to my parents. So I can't believe that's actually what you're, that's actually your coming out story. It really is a true thing. I will tell you this, it was not something I'd ever considered. So then like when it did occur, I was like, I was like, 
as I was doing it, I was waking up and I was kind of like, it was like watching someone from across a room do it. And I was like, oh, what am I watching? And I'm like, oh, it's me. Like I'm doing it. Like I'm, and then I was like, it's too late. I guess I'm in the middle of this now, but it was like having a whole conversation, like a subconscious conversation. It's a real thing. So now I have a paranoia about it. And I'm like, what other secrets might I reveal? Like what other truths might I tell to someone? Like I might tell someone like a really harsh truth that they're, you know, like maybe I don't want to tell them. So it's like who I need like a complete stranger to take me and pick me up from getting anesthesia if it ever has to happen again. My gosh, truly. <laughs> so, oh my God. Okay. So when you, so I don't know why I, I have to ask this, you pulled over to throw up. Was it because you couldn't believe that you just came out to your mom or because of the anesthesia or maybe a little bit of both? I think it was both. Honestly, mm. I was like, I, I don't think anyone's feeling great after some kind of like procedure like that, yeah. like some kind of medical procedure. So I think regardless, I probably wouldn't have felt great, but then like combined with like what had occurred. Um, I think I had this like sense of like overwhelming dread that it had happened. And I was like, in, in a sense, I was like, so sick feeling already from having that procedure done. I was like, the combination was just, I was like, this isn't, I very politely asked her to, I was like, Hey, would it be okay if like in just a second, you could just pull the car over and I'll just quick hop out just really quick. Um, just cause I think I might, you know, I think I might throw up, but you know, just like what at your convenience, like, could you over? <laughs> if you may, please. <laughs> 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 oh my goodness. Okay. So then you said, so you talked about it three more times and then never again. No. And then, I mean, and so does that, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it was just like, I mean, it's like my family is like, also like I'm estranged from my family now, but it's like, mm. it was like a thing where it's like, my family is like a family that does not talk about things. Like they're like, we're like, if, if anybody's talking about anything, it's about a very funny anecdote that happened like one time at church or like a funny story about like, like that, remember that silly time that this happened, but that's like it, that's all anybody will talk about. So, um, that was like very much like, okay, well, we're never talking about like this specifically, like ever again. And I never, that is a story that's like not a funny story in my family. It's like, that was not discussed again. That was like, not like a little, remember when Kristen did that real crazy thing and said that stuff when she was under anesthesia and then she vomited Mm -hmm. out of the car and then we went home. No, that's like not a funny story. Um, Mm. but it's funny to me now. I mean, I get, I get a little fun out of it at least, at least I should be able to get that. Cause that's like, that was not my plan. Although I think maybe people's like coming out story is like generally not like it doesn't like necessarily all the time go is like, it can't be like a scripted thing. Cause you can't like, you can kind of anticipate what someone's reaction would even be, you know, or like, or your own, like maybe you think, you know, like how it would go, but the reality of a moment, like has so many factors going on that it would be like really hard to say. And I think sometimes things go better. I'll, honestly, like I probably wouldn't have come out to my mother. So it's like, maybe it's like for the, I think probably like my subconscious is like, waiting for me for this to happen so that it could do it so I don't regret it I think it is wild I don't want to reveal anything else under anesthesia but I am I am happy for it even if it's just for the story of coming under anesthesia (laughs) yeah um yeah I was just thinking like it's funny to you it's all about perspective um and time and distance away from it because I'm sure sure. probably wasn't funny in the moment for you and probably not for a while either no. Um, but it, I think it is one of those things, right. Where it's like, 
And that's like kind of, I mean, I, I think that way because of, I think to myself because I'm like a writer and I want to tell stories. So I'll think of like how I can reimagine it. But I think mm-hmm. that's just like a deeply human thing to do. It's like we have these stories in our lives and how we kind of like consider memory and things is like we it's almost like a kind of like a cough drop sitting in your mouth that's kind of like kind of smoothing down and turning into like something else and it's like sits and sits inside there um and I I think it's we turn the memory into like the memory that's basically ours that we created like it's not necessarily a memory of the moment it's like a memory of the memory yeah So, I mean, and I think that's interesting from like from a writing standpoint and a reading standpoint, but just from a human standpoint, I think it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thank you. So thank you for coming out started as an improv show. And so like people would share a coming out story and then improvisers would take the details from that story and reimagine it on the stage um, using improv. And um, one of the, one of the most common like pieces of feedback that I get from storytellers is that it, that witnessing someone else take parts of their story and reimagine it is like a very healing process Mm -hmm. and that it helped especially for folks who maybe had a little bit more painful of stories help them reimagine and heal a little bit um seeing someone else's take or someone else's perspective um on something that was very painful and it doesn't take away what it was but like you're saying it helps smooth it down and it helps it's like a cope maybe like a coping Mm -hmm. strategy of sorts yeah. I mean, I think it is like a, a nice way to, or maybe just a way, I don't know if like, you know, like a way to like, to be able to process and reprocess. Cause it's like one of those things where it's going to just take kind of like, and now I want to like think of like metaphors where it's like putting a rock at a rock tumbler and it's like smoothing it out and turning it into something else. But it is like, one of, it, I think it's just one of those things where it's, and also like what you're saying, it is like, has to be good to hear like these kind of ways that other people have processed it because they're all just connected even if they're not the exact exact same story they have these like little tendrils that reach out and touch each other and it's it's nice it's nice to feel not alone and things like that even if when it's something as deeply silly as coming out to your mom under anesthesia yeah (laughs) um I came out to my mom over tacos and she immediately asked if I'd ever been with a woman and I was like oh god (laughs) like this is not what I (laughs) wanted to happen but I guess that's a positive outcome <laughs> like you know but um but to your point you know because I I also was like very I was very afraid to come out to my parents and to your point of um you never know how someone's going to react in the moment and I think that that's one of the biggest reasons why people uh not so much now I feel like younger generations are coming out earlier and earlier but like my, I'm 36 and a half um so like me growing up there wasn't a lot of visibility representation conversations around queer identity in a positive way at all. And so it really was kind of like, it almost was like a crapshoot of like, I have no idea how this person's going to react. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. scary. It is like, yeah, I'm, I'm 40. And I was like, I definitely, was like, Oh, this is like, I mean, cause I also remember, I think cause there's like, when you're closeted and there's the idea of coming out all the times that you remember, like people around you, even if they're being like loving and you care about them, the things that they've said, not, not knowing about you, you keep that and retain it in your, in the back of your mind. It's kind of like stored in like a little horrible filing cabinet. And so like, when it comes time to like, think about coming out, like you are rifling through that little filing cabinet being like, I feel like maybe they react this way, but I, here's the evidence stored in the filing cabinet of where maybe it would go away that would 
be not as pleasant or like something like it would take a turn and it's like your brain like just playing like sleuth and trying to uncover that stuff so it is and it also just like so anxiety producing and when anything's like anxiety producing like that then it's just like your brain going over time trying to think of reasons what could go wrong like here's how it could like really go awry um but then then it turns out that you can just you know you could do you could be unconscious and just (laughs) (laughs) right Um, I love that you use the, first of all, to back up to the, like the other metaphors, mm-hmm. uh, you're like the cough drop and the rock tumbler. The one that came to mind was like the commercial for, um, like, uh, now I can like liquid Tums or something where it like coats your stomach and it's like, yes. ah, like the relief, yes. <laughs> that's like the <laughs> image I have in my head. Um, but it's also, it's funny that you mentioned like very specifically a filing cabinet, because that's how I talk about this exact thing that you're talking about too, mm-hmm. of like these interactions that I've witnessed my parents talk about and I've like there were you know and and I've talked about this with my parents um but a lot actually of I can remember very specific transphobic homophobic comments that they've made um seemingly they didn't even realize that what they were saying was problematic like they weren't they're not like outwardly harsh bigoted people to their do they to their knowledge but you know with hindsight it's like oh I I mean I'm I also have said very many problematic things but anyways I digress um but just to your point yes it's exactly what that is it's like we 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 only know what we know and we're trying our best to protect ourselves and it it again just to circle back (laughs) crapshoot it's like I don't know like what's the filing cabinet going to bring up today yeah. And I think it is one of those things too. That's a funny thing to say, like what will it bring up today? Right. Cause it's like, you're not able to like access that stuff all of the time, but like mm-hmm. when it does decide to bring up something, you're like, Oh, right. This memory of this like thing, even if at the moment, cause I think that's a thing too, at the moment when I ingested a lot of that stuff or stuff that was like, I didn't like at a younger age, maybe didn't realize that it was like me or like part of myself. Cause I didn't know that stuff is yet or at least like really acknowledge it yet but later on thinking back about it is like this kind of like almost makes it feel like worse or it's like this kind of like feeling of like unwrapping it and being like oh right this is like what this is and it was like a thing and how I like even how I participated in some of that stuff because I think that's a thing that happens too um like I mean before well before I came out like the way that my parents would talk about um, queer people, um, even just in passing, because it was something my parents like would not have even just talked about, but like when things came up or they were joking or like in reference to something on a television show or something somebody did, like that was like, you know, like how, how did I participate in it? Like even at the time, like what was that? And then like thinking back, so it's not even just like, here's how I remember you interacting with it. It's like, here's how I remember me interacting with it. And there's like a little mm. weird, like shame and guilt kind of curled up in it because it's like I don't know you feel like you're a participant also in this like in this kind of way even if it's not like I don't know does that make sense yeah yeah it makes a lot of sense it's um I feel like I've like in thinking back so in thinking back to all all, like all the times before coming out first as gay and then as genderqueer of of when did I perpetuate stereotypes and harm and was it because I didn't know better or was it because I was trying to protect myself mm-hmm. and like and then you know to like put it on someone else like so if if I'm you know bullying somebody else for being queer then no one will think that I'm queer mm-hmm. um that kind of thing and I and I also sit in the in that shame a lot of um you know 
perpetuating harm and um, ha- have made it a practice to when I, when I uncover those things, like in those, like, cause I do like, there's a lot unlocked in this fight, lots of locked drawers that, you know, actually with different conversations that I have with people or reading different things, it helps find those keys to unlock those moments. And I'm like, Oh, what, what am I going to find? And what am I going to remember? And if I find that I remember bullying someone, if I can, I apologize to them. I've, I think I've apologized to like, I don't know, a handful of people from high school mm-hmm. for like being a real schmuck to them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was like, I was miserable. That doesn't make it an excuse to make your life miserable, but that's just where I was. And I'm really sorry. And everyone was very kind in receiving that one person was like, yeah, you were a real asshole. And I was like, <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I mean, the, the one thing too, is that like, I don't think no one's their best self as a teenager in high school. Oh, yeah. no, one, no one has achieved their a good state of being when they're in high school. Um, I think we're all our worst possible selves. Like anyone who is queer included, (laughs) like just, it's like, no one is like really doing great with like making like a lot of like choices when it comes to how we treat others. It's, I don't know. It's like a, what is, what a strange thing to even be a human being, but especially a teenager. (laughs) Yeah. So, so you came out at 20. How, like what, how long have you, had you known that you were part of the queer community? Um, I think that I had, I had truly like subconsciously known for a really long time that I was queer. Um, it was like the ways in which I felt like I had to model behavior off of the people around me because I felt like I wasn't doing it right. And some of that was part of like, came very naturally to me because growing up in this like kind of southern baptist evangelical kind of household there's like things that i already was doing that i had to like patterns of behavior where i was like i don't really know if i believe this stuff or like what this is and i but i have to do it so i can just model the behavior and so like when it came to like presenting gender like how i need to dress like putting on makeup like wearing pantyhose like three times a week like i can do this stuff like i can learn to do it it felt like costuming So it felt very natural to me to like suppress like the way I felt about like my sexuality because I was already doing this, those kind of behaviors. Um, So, I mean, the things that made it like hard were like moments where it kind of like poked through for me, like where I would, because there were ways I wanted to be that I just like couldn't. Um, Like I, anytime, anytime I'd remotely try and butch up, like even a little bit, like, right. Like I bought like some men's cargo pants at old Navy, classic lesbian move, mm. um, classic style lesbian move. I got them for $9 and then like the men's like sales section at old Navy. And I was thrilled with them. And I, at the time it was like in the nineties. So there's like, like some, some kind of clothes like were popular. And so I was like, I can get away with like wearing this. Cause it's like a kind of style. Um, like I had these like men's kind of brogues, like the shoes and I'd wear my cargo pants. And then I came out like with like wearing, um, like a, like an Oxford shirt and like a sweater vest over it. And I'd had my hair kind of cut over the summer and I came out and I remember my mother were going, I could not leave the house. Cause she said, I looked like Ellen. Mm. Um, I couldn't go anywhere. And I remember the time being like, feeling like not even like just mad at her, but like deeply embarrassed. Cause I was like, there's part of me that's trying to dress this kind of way. That's trying to look like this, that like finds like a real attraction to it. And I like, can't. Um, so it was like real, it was really hard. It's like hard. It was hard. I mean, it was hard for everybody. It's hard for everybody coming out. Um, but it was, 
I think it, it was really hard being around my family because once I was like making friends like outside of the church and like meeting new people and be able to like spend more time like by myself and seeing who I was, it was so much easier. It was much more difficult, like being in that kind of like very specific kind of thing in the church because it was really not okay. And that was like drilled into me at a very young age. So it was like knowing, but like not knowing, like I had Barbies and I loved to have them make out with each other. Like I never wanted them to have anything to do with Ken. Like I always wanted them to be in love and like, you know, they'd get in fights, like friend fights. And like, I was like more like interested in like always like the way that like female friendship like operated and like how, I don't know. I always like, was very interested in having like, um, like, I had like one Ken and I never wanted to have him like at interact in scenes. So I would like have him like show up to like do something and then I'd have him drive away. And then, then I, then all the friends could like hang out and do stuff together. And so in like retrospect, all that stuff now to me as an adult seems very queer. Um, but at the time uh, I remember just being like, Oh, like, I just think like the, this kind of concept is boring. Like I'm not interested in like what, you know, Ken might add to this dynamic. I'm not interested <laughs> <laughs> bring us pizza and leave exactly yeah and like show up like I had like yeah just show up and then be like see you later Ken see you later maybe like Ken is like dad like Ken's like hey hey gals you guys like want like because I love dad culture that's a thing it's like I love dads I like really like strongly have such an affinity with like the way that dads move through the world and like I was like like when I was younger I was like super obsessed with my dad um in the way that I was like he was always so charming so funny like he really put people at ease um and I like really very much like wanted to like be like that like I was like this is how I would see myself and how I want to move through the world like the idea of like just kind of be like hey buddy like how's your day going like you know do like here I'm, I'm grilling outside I'm having a beer like just this kind of like very chill vibe so maybe I could identify with Ken if he's a dad. That's, that's a scenario I want to see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I feel uh, I'm, I, I was going to say I'm proud of you. That's not, that feels weird. I, I met you five minutes ago, but like just the fact that you were like brave enough to even attempt to try to dress in the way that was affirming for you, knowing your surroundings is like really bold and like really proud worthy. Like, cause I never, I never did that. I was so deeply terrified of doing anything that would clock me as queer in any way that I just, I wouldn't do it. I was too scared. And so I think it's awesome that you even tried. <laughs> Thank you. I, I wish I still had those old Navy pants, honestly. Me too. I think I would wear them right now. They sound cool. <laughs> the pockets were so huge. <laughs> They're so huge. Uh, Old Navy is still mostly what I only wear and they have the best pockets. (laughs) Um, But it's interesting that you brought up Barbies because I also um, played a lot with Barbies and like Legos and Mm -hmm. really explored my, what I didn't realize I was a, I thought I was only exploring my sexual orientation, but also was exploring my gender identity and would always only be Ken. And um, loved that, like, the safety of channeling what I was feeling through dolls. Mm -hmm. Um, And similarly, like, through improv, um, when I would step onto stage and put on a character, uh, if I were playing, if I were speaking in binary terms, a man, Mm -hmm. I would, 
And th- I only knew this in hindsight. I would step out and just be natural. And then anytime I was playing a character who was a woman, I put on a voice or I put on a caricature. Cause I was like in my mind without even realizing it, I was like, no one's going to realize I'm a woman. Uh-huh. Um, even though I was always read as one. Yeah. Um, so it's just interesting. So I'm curious and I, I hope this isn't too much of a leap, but like, does your, do you find in your writing that you use that as a way to channel or explore certain parts of your identity? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think anytime, um, once again, I can, I guess I can only speak for myself, but I, I, it feels like when we make art, um, it's like such an interesting way to, um, kind of tap at at least some things. Um, I know that like the different kinds of writing I do serve like different kinds of purposes for me in that regard. Um, I think especially like if I'm doing essay work, which is its own specific kind of thing. It's usually some kind of question that I have that is um, bothering me. And like, I kind of like think about it in terms of like, uh, it's like something that's just kind of like grating at me a little bit. Like it's like having something like stuck in my shoe and it's just going to kind of like stay in there until I like deal with it. And the way that I feel like, cause I'm also a librarian. And so I think my brain like is like constantly thinking, thinking of things in terms of research slash like the reference desk or like an idea of like best practices and processes. So I am always thinking about the ways that I think about writing is not figuring out the answer to something, but is to figure out the right way to ask the question enough times that I figure out the right way to ask the question um because that's what I'm most interested in and I think that that has like when I think about my own like like how I think about my own gender uh or like sexuality has been like a lot of me channeling in writing for sure and in multiple kinds of modes of writing um trying to figure out how to ask the how to ask the question Cause it's like, I'm asking one thing and it's taking me a long time to figure out that thing that sits underneath, like the question underneath the question, like the thing I'm actually trying to ask. Cause I just don't know what it is yet. Um, and so I think that I, I think quite often in my work, I'll be digging at different things. Cause I'm also interested um, just very much in like the messy ways that human beings can be and the ways that we fail. I mean, I consider myself to be a deeply messy person. <laughs> so um it's, I think a lot of times when I'm, when I'm channeling things in my work or, or just, just wanting to, to see how things can function, it's like an extension or a way to like, kind of poke at it and see what I can get it to reveal. Not like an answer, but like a, the, the best form of the question. I'm always interested in questions. I'm less interested in the answer because I think answers change, but like, I think the questions are the most interesting thing about writing. So I think that that's like, how I would like probably think about like my own way of like kind of like self-discovery is like how I can how many ways can I ask it until I figure out the right way and then I still don't know if it's like because it's not answering anything because then because maybe too I'm just like processing this aloud right now right (laughs) (laughs) um maybe too I'm thinking about like um the work especially like writing and art like being like I it's not just me it's like um once I like create work it's like sending it out and I want it to be like a part of a bigger conversation so like having it be a question that feels like it's sitting there means it can be in communication with other things and with other people um and so maybe that's like how I how I think about like 
moving into the world and like finding out things about myself. Cause I feel like I just never understand anything about myself or about anything. I feel like I'm constantly learning. And when I feel like I do know something, I am like, I did not know that I thought I knew it. And then I didn't. So I'm like learning and relearning. And I, that's how I feel just about myself. It's like in terms of my sexuality and my gender too. Like, it's just like, I think I understand something about it. And then it's like, well, it's actually maybe not that thing and it's shifting and changing again. And I think that happens in work too. At least for me, I think it is definitely happening. Just asking a one million questions. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the last the a lot of what you said resonates. At the, the one of the last things that you said resonates very deeply, which is, um, you know, just this idea of like society expects us to um, not expect expects us and conditions us to not question things mm-hmm. and to take things for what they are and. Um, so when people do question their sexuality or their gender identity, um, it's hard because the world isn't set up. This is our society. I can't, I don't talk about the world, but at least in North America, um, you know, it's, uh, we don't live in a place that's built to support the questions. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, you know, it's when, when someone does start asking the questions and learn, learn things about themselves, um, because they didn't ask the questions early enough, maybe they find something out about themselves that unravels a marriage or unravels a job or unravel, you know, I didn't want kids, but I had kids because yeah. I thought that was what I was supposed to do. Yeah. And now that I'm realizing I don't want it. Oh crap. I created human beings and now I'm responsible <laughs> for them. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, it's just, I've, I've also learned as I've been questioning and questioning and re-questioning to, to live in the question. Mm-hmm. Um, like Gilda Radner's like delicious ambiguity is like, you know, and um, cause as I've, as I've been asking myself questions about all of the things I keep learning new things. It's like, why am I even going to pretend to settle on something when I know that something's good, it's just going to shift. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, and, it, and it's like part of the fun of being like alive and like moving through messy humanity with people is like the understanding that like you know, we don't really know everything. And it's like, if there wasn't anything else to like learn about ourselves, like how really infinitely boring that would be. Like it would be the most boring existence to feel like we knew everything. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm like, then what, yeah. <laughs> like, what are we doing? Um, so what, what questions did you, were you asking when you were like, I want to write another book. So mm. now I'm, I'm transitioning to with teeth. So, oh, what, yeah. <laughs> so when you were, when you wrote with teeth, uh-huh. what were, what were some of the questions that you were trying to get up I think I was thinking a lot because I am writing about Florida um, because I consider myself to be a queer writer but also very much a place writer I love writing about Florida I mean I grew up my whole life in Florida central Florida my parents are from central Florida my grandparents and so it's like a place that I I think about a lot Um, also I think Florida is just this like very specific presence that like refuses to let you forget about it like Florida is a character on its own like it really is like tapping at you all the time and being like, Hey, 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 like, uh, the most annoying child. Um, but it is, uh, I mean, and like, it's your child. So it's like, you're like, here's my like little annoying kid, but like nobody else can say anything about it. It's like my little annoying kid. But, um, 
it's also just like a very like tactile place. Like it's like, yeah, there's stuff here like that can kill you. The weather is like really wild. There's like, you know, bugs and lizards that are like inside your house. Like at any moment, the land's like trying to take itself back. Like the humidity feels like almost like this kind of like embrace, like is it embrace you want? No, maybe not all the time. Um, but it is like this way that it like feels very important to me so it's like a through line in all my books and this specific book for with teeth I was thinking a lot about queer communities specifically in Orlando and like what that looks like there because we have tons of queer people in Orlando but not a lot of queer spaces um there's like a, a small handful of spaces that are in Orlando and they're like um right they're like um like night like nightclub kind of stuff um or like bars it's like single life kind of like late night kind of drinking culture um and so much of like community that can be built up like a, I mean as speaking with myself as a queer person it's been so important to me to have like a community that's like a found family for myself and like you know like the people that you find and like what does that look like if like your the community is structured this kind of way where it's like maybe you don't have like a, like a biological family to rely on. This is like your found family and it's structured around this way where it's like kind of nightlife adjacent. And like, you decide, like you find a partner and you decide you're going to have like a child and what that looks like when there's not really a space for that. There's like no kind of like framework to look at. And also you feel like you're kind of like losing the community that you did have because that's not like what the community is built upon or could support. So this kind of like loneliness and then to also feel like, um, like even like like maybe I don't like this and I'm not good at it and like what does that mean now like you know like I I made this decision and I I have people looking at me because like Florida's a conservative like red state um people looking at me like waiting for me to fail um like looking at me knowing I'm gonna fail and then the opposite side of that coin being like I also have any queer people looking at me like please don't fail if you fail and you ruin this for me like everybody's looking at you as this like specific example that has to like right like sink or float like you know sink or float and it would be it, it would be oh, so hard anyway to like already like raising a child like it's so difficult and having like people's opinions anyway regardless of those kinds of things and I was like if you like layer that on top of like a person who's maybe kind of bad at it like you know like maybe they're not a great parent like what does that look like and that became like the whole crux of this book plus the idea that I was like I'm really fascinated by family stories and the idea that everybody in a household is an unreliable narrator Mm-hmm. Um, I love family stories, um, because I think like, that's just like so many like shared stories in the household is like the way that like, here's the story of like what happened this like one holiday, or here's the story of like what happened on like summer vacation, or here's like the story of like when, you know, like so-and-so broke their leg. And like, those stories are like shared stories and shared narrative, but how any person in the household tells that story is like dependent upon their own personal lens. Like everybody in the household has like main character syndrome, um so I really was thinking about like the kind of like idea of like unreliability and that really was interesting to me but specifically through this kind of framework of like very specific queer culture in Orlando proper um and it was just fun to write like because I am like constantly thinking too about like humor like I I really like jokes and I like you know even if I'm not making anyone laugh I'm usually making myself laugh and that's fine like that's enough for me and I like really was like, this is a book that's like about discomfort as well. And I was like, you know, like where are the places that like life can be like uncomfortable or discomfort sits and um, can there still be kind of humor, like kind of like teased out from it or like gleaned from it. Um, and I, I mean, it's, it's like great. Like I love the idea of like the dinner party from hell, 
like that's like because like, like even if it's like when you attend it, it's like maybe not the fun, most fun thing in the moment but it's stories forever afterwards like remember that one dinner party where that person did that thing and then this happened and it wasn't it terrible but it's like a story that stays there forever and I was thinking about that a lot as I was writing this book. <laughs> kind of seems like Sammy's life is a dinner party from hell mm-hmm. <laughs> like just like Every, at every turn it's like oh sammy oh um i pulled from a new york times article um mm-hmm. something a, a quote to your point at every step sammy wonders if she's not just a bad person but a bad ambassador um arnett's account of self-imposed lgbt respectability politics is poignant how can we be human without reflecting badly on others in the community when our failures already seem for lots of folks like a foregone conclusion mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like one of those things, right? Like it's where you can't win. Um, And uh, the idea that anyone would need to be like, right? Like here's your gold medal for being like gay. Like you did it. Like you're perfect and you've never screwed up. Like, like I, I love the, I like, I don't know. I want to, I like to write books about people who fail. Cause I think like failure is so it's part, it's part of the process and to like deny people the, ability to like fail and things means that like we don't really want people to succeed because that's like that's the like the messy part of like trying is like the failure and like how that sits um so I would say this is definitely a book where I was like I want to think about like the failure of like this specific family or the dysfunction that sits inside of it and how it was not dealt with and how it's like it's a it's a kind of failure and like what does that mean like to sit inside of this like very specific queer household you know like what if it's not salvageable what if it's a, what is it in fact a failure mm-hmm. yeah um to to your point on um like unreliable narrator. Um, I, I love the main character syndrome. I absolutely <laughs> have that. I'm like, I'm the main character. Uh, I'm also a middle child. So maybe that's also <laughs> part of it. But um, I loved what you did with like the the, the, the snippets um, before each chapter mm-hmm. um, or most chapters of like the perspective of someone we also just interacted with. Yeah. Um, and I think it really, it really like, um, like builds the world out and like gives such different perspectives or like this is actually a nut how the same exact moment was read by the one that sticks out the most is in the bar yeah. um and like how how everyone was perceiving sammy and then we had just gone through that whole scene from sammy's perspective and then seeing how everyone else was reading her well particularly this bar the bartender yeah um, it's just so interesting it's it's i think it's such a good reminder of like we aren't we are the main characters in our own lives, but like to nobody else. Yeah. I mean, those were like, um, and I'll tell you, those were, those were very fun to write. I mean, it's cause it's like, just like a, just a small page of like an interaction from somebody who um, like al- almost nobody has stakes in there. And in, in those like, right. Like these are people that are just kind of passing through and only have like the bare minimum for the most part of like facts about this family or about any one of these characters. And so like, and it's also colored by because the, they're the main character in that in that little blip, you know, mm-hmm. like so it's very yeah. much like, here's this thing I'm seeing on the periphery. Here's how I experienced it. And like and like butted up against like because this, the book is done in like a third person. But it's very close third. Um, so it's almost like it's almost like a first person kind of narrative where you're like really close to Sammy. And so the expectation is you're supposed to like believe what she's saying and thinking all the time. But in reality, 
what she's saying and thinking all the time isn't necessarily like what other people are experiencing. Cause I think saying like, is it right or accurate or the truth is like not how I'd want to think about that. Cause I mm. think in any interaction, like there's like, I mean, a, the truth is like, you know, kind of like almost more specific to who is the one like telling the story, you know, and here's what really happened is like very much going to be in terms of like the eye of the beholder, I think a lot of the time. And that is fascinating to me. Um, just like the idea of like how, how perspective, even from sitting in like a different corner of the room can like change how, how a person sees things or processes them or their own personal perspective colors, the lens that they kind of move through the world with. So yeah, it was like, it was really, it was really fun to write those, like, just to be like, here's, here's for a moment in time, like what someone else thought of this and like, is it in keeping with what Sammy says? Like, maybe not, you know? And that's fun. And I feel like that's like very human, like the messy ways that people interact. Like it's the greatest. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I also, I loved the quote, uh, a quote from the book to be queer was to build your own community, to embrace the people who loved you for yourself and didn't expect you to change to suit their hangups. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think speaks to what you were saying earlier about, you know, like the chosen family and building, building a space for yourself. I just, mm-hmm. I love that. I love that idea. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like so important. I mean, cause I think like, I mean, when we think about like queer community and like friendship or like just how intimacy works, it's like how we experience like friendships with other people or like learn to be tender like with other people like allows us like kind of level of tenderness with ourselves in ways that like maybe we don't afford ourselves on occasion um like or being vulnerable um which can be difficult if you're like you know if you were a person who is queer and have felt like you know trauma in any kind of capacity because those things are like really difficult and so then finding like people in your life you know no matter what that kind of family shape or like community shape looks like being able to be like open and vulnerable and tender with people I think is like a very special thing um and it is like a special nice thing to know that like just because also it's like like knowing that other people these like other people in your community have like have shared things like shared trauma like shared like past like you know, just different kinds of baggage. So it's nice to like help shoulder the load in a kind of way. Feels like special and nice. I love the idea of like tenderness and vulnerability. Sometimes um, I think being a writer has helped me process that a lot actually because I am a person who's always been rather like I'd rather make a joke than deal with it like I'm like okay like let me just make a joke like let me bring some levity to the situation I don't want anyone to be sad like I'm gonna like really try and like make this like a nice moment and sometimes the moment doesn't need to be nice sometimes the moment just needs to be like like open a little bit like air it somehow and I think writing especially into scenes where like characters experience like moments of like opening up about trauma or or feeling vulnerable or tender in a moment has helped me to like think more about that and Mm -hmm. how like um, people in my life need that for me too as much as I want to like be there for them like a kind of sharing sharing is good yeah like and you said it earlier like it's nice to know you're not alone and Mm -hmm. when when you share when one shares something vulnerable chances are someone else has also experienced something similar and so it it does create a connection and uh which is so nice Mm -hmm. um okay I hate to do this because (laughs) it feels like we're just getting started but I want to be mindful of time and 
Um, I want to move us into the lightning round of questions. Ooh, we're going to do it. Here we go. We're going to do it. Uh, they're just silly. Uh, but, <laughs> but try, try to answer as quickly as can, as you can. Okay. Um, they're mostly open-ended because I had had like either or questions and I was told very lovingly that it was too binary. So these are now <laughs> open-ended questions except for one. Um, okay. So if you could name your crayon. Any, if you could name a crayon, what would you name it? Name a crayon. Yeah. Um, beer brown. Love it. Beer brown. Mm-hmm. Favorite time of day? Oh, like a twilighty sunset. Like when the sun's starting to set in Florida, like over like the lake and the water. Mm. Favorite current queer media representation? Oh, God. Um, oh, I really liked Vita. Um, if anybody watched Vita, there was like only a few seasons. I friggin' loved Vita. That was a good, good. show. That yeah. was a good show. Yeah. Um, a song that makes your heart sore. Oh, God. Um, uh, there's this really old patience and prudence song called like a smile and a ribbon. I love that song. It's very, very old. It's like a very sweet song with, like by two children singers, like from a long time ago. And it's a very, it's a very sweet song. <laughs> oh, I love that. I'll have to look into it. Um, favorite way to travel. Oh God. I love driving. I'm like, I'm actually like, really like, I'm a person who would like love to hop in the car and just kind of drive cross cross country, like throw my dog in the back and, you know, stop along the way. I think that's a fun way to travel and see things. Totally. Um, favorite quote. Favorite quote. Oh God. Um, the opening quote of Julie Button's Marlena maybe is like a good one. I won't say it's my favorite, but it's a good one. Um, um, tell me what you can't forget and I'll tell you who you are is like a, first of all, an amazing opening quote to, um, a book, but also I just think it's like a beautiful quote. <laughs> That's cool. I'm gonna have to like, think about that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Bagels or donuts? Oh shit. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is the hardest one yet. I know. Oh God. I think, I think bagels. I think I'm saying it right now though. And I might change it like my, but for right in this moment, who I am and Kristen is in this moment in times is saying bagels. Beautiful. I mean, that's, there are no wrong answers, but that's the right answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Kristen, this was so lovely. I'm so happy we got a chance to talk. Everyone who's listening or watching read with teeth. Uh, Excellent. Excellent book. Uh, Really had me thinking a lot about a lot of different things. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. I had the nicest time. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And thank you for coming out. Thank you for coming out. Hey, everyone. It's your host, Dubs Weinblatt. Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and an open mind. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so so you don't miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps. And we want to hear from you. We want to know your coming out story. Head on over to Thank You For Coming Out's Instagram page, at thank you for coming out and click the link in our bio. There's a form there where you can submit your coming out story either anonymously or with your name. And you could have the chance to hear your story read out on the thank you for coming out podcast. We're so happy that you're part of our community and we want you to know that your story matters. Thank you for coming out.